0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to Behind the Numbers. My name is Dave Bookbinder, and we are coming to you live from the RVN Television Studios. Today, we're going to be talking about rockstar CFOs and psychopathic CEOs. Great stuff, and uh, I've worked with both. <laughs> I'm pleased to welcome Jack McCullough, who is the president of CFO Leadership Council and the author of the books, Secrets of Rockstar CFOs, and his second book is The Psychopathic CEO and Executive Survival Guide. Jack, welcome to Behind the Numbers.
1: Thanks, it's great to be here. I've been looking forward to this conversation for a while.
0: Yeah, likewise, and I want to kick it off by talking about psychopathic CEOs. I mean, just the name of the book, and if you're working with a psychopathic CEO, Executive Survival Guide certainly seems like a a good thing to have uh, in in association with that. But tell us what inspired you to write Psychopathic CEOs.
1: Sure. I worked um, it, as when I was earlier in my career, I was a CFO and I worked with somebody who I just thought was a jerk. Perhaps I used a, a different word to describe him in my mind, but you know, just a very difficult personality to work with. And then for the clock, a couple of years, I was actually at a conference where the keynote speaker was an FBI agent whose expertise was in the field of corporate psychopathy. And as she was describing the typical psychopathic CEO, I was like, oh, my God, I worked for this guy. Uh, It was sort of a, you know, a light bulb type of moment. Then she said, by a show of hands, based upon what you've heard, how many people think that you may have worked with a a psychopathic CEO in your career? And about half of us put our hands up. And I was just absolutely fascinated by the topic and uh, decided to write a book on it during the COVID year when, you know, I, I was... I'd wanted to for a while. And when COVID came along, I said, if I don't do it now, I'm never going to.
0: So, Well, let's let's unpack a little bit some of the characteristics. I mean, you mentioned that you thought they were a jerk or an a-hole or what have you. And certainly that's one. But what are the defining characteristics of a psychopathic CEO or psychopath in general?
1: Yeah. I mean, being a jerk doesn't make one a psychopath. But uh, the main thing is the they just fundamentally they're missing something. They have a lack of empathy towards people. They will only act in their own best interest. It, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're evil uh, people, but there's just kind of something that's gone there. So they will act only in their best interest and they don't care if they ruin people's lives in the process of getting rich. The other thing is, you you know, narcissism on steroids. Uh, Psychopaths are almost always narcissistic individuals and whatnot, so uh, reckless behavior is a big part of their things as well.
0: Yeah, Jack, is it the individual? I mean, are they hardwired as psychopaths? Or is it when you get into that position, it, it drives you crazy, literally?
1: Yeah, you know the science does differ a little bit on it, but and and I'm not a scientist to be clear, um, but the consensus seems to be that people are actually born psychopaths. Um, now, I, I'm often asked what's the difference between a psychopath and a sociopath, and you know there are a few, but one distinction is it's generally believed that people are made sociopaths that you aren't born a psychopath. That uh, You weren't born a sociopath, but a difficult childhood or traumatic experiences turn you into one. But, yeah, you, it, the general consensus is psychopaths are born that way. So, And a lot of them are, like, very, very smart, and they're talented. They tend to have an unnaturally high level of charisma and the ability to inspire people to trust them. So these people, you put high intellect... And, and all of those other characters and combine it with a, a belief that the world exists only to serve them. And then you've got some really dangerous possibilities when they become a CEO.
0: Yeah. So you've said you worked for one or more, and I think most people out there um, probably have as well, or at least thought that they have. At, at what point do you start to realize that this is what you're dealing with? And what are some of the the major tells? I mean, you talked about the characteristics, but Um, It's easy to kind of be dismissive of it and think well, you know, that's just the position I don't see that person every day. How do you how do you actually know that this is what you've got?
1: yeah, and you know one or more it's interesting because the um, the rate of psychopathy amongst American CEOs is somewhere in the area of 15% so if you kind of work the numbers if, if you work for four CEOs during the course of your career, and most people work for more than four, but if you work for four, there's about a 50-50 chance that one of them is a psychopath. When you sort of work the numbers, it's, you know, it's an 85% chance that anyone isn't, but multiply that to the fourth power. But um, so there's a very good chance that you're going to work for one or more psychopathic CEOs during the course of your career. So uh, but, you know, to your earlier question, what are you looking for? You're looking for people that start off. They're extraordinarily likable in the short run. They make all sorts of promises. But eventually you figure out that they're very, very manipulative by nature, that they They're very insincere, but they're really good at faking sincerity. They are effortless liars. It's kind of a scary thing how easy it is for certain people to lie, you know, particularly psychopaths. They'll look you in the eye. They they fake emotions that they don't have or even understand. So it's the whole ingenuity and then the recklessness and the danger behind it and just the lack of empathy that they have for people.
0: Yeah, and just to put some context around this whole thing, maybe you could share with us some of the more, I'll call them famous or or well-known psychopathic CEOs over time.
1: Sure. There's a theory that every U.S. president was a psychopath. I'm I'm not exactly sure that I buy into that. Some of them it's easy to believe, um, others not so much. But in terms of within the business community, a lot of people have theorized that Steve Jobs, was a psychopath um you know he had some problematic behavior within the biography that was written about him it was noted he actually arced in handicapped spots and for him he just said it's okay i'll pay the fine he he didn't he lacked that empathy he didn't seem to realize that the handicapped spots were not you know, high price parking spots there for people who had a disability and, you know, just needed to be closer to the front door of a building. He also, like he famously fired people at Apple World, like literally on stage, he fired people. Um, he thought nothing of humiliating people at company meetings and stuff like that. But, you know, it's interesting because I often ask people if you definitively knew that Steve Jobs was a psychopath, would you work for him anyway? And it's, it's a mixed thing. I probably would. You know, you can, while he had these problematic personality traits, probably the greatest business person of my lifetime, if not ever. I mean, he's in that class with Henry Ford and just a very small number of other people who, you know, truly changed the world in the business world. So,
0: yeah. How about uh, like uh, Elizabeth Holmes or uh, the, the folks maybe at, at Enron that were involved in, in scandal?
1: Yeah, it's, Elizabeth Holmes, you know, she certainly checks all of the boxes. She's a, a bit of the uh, the poster child for it almost. And I'm grateful for that because when I'm asked to talk about famous psychopaths, uh, I'm almost always describing men. So I'm, I'm glad that she's around so that we can have at least one, uh, you know, one female to discuss. But yeah, she's a person, you know, she lied very persuasively. And the other thing is, you know, you talk about a lack of empathy, and for those who don't know, she had that blood analysis tool, and so it was essentially a coin flip whether or not it would be right, but that had two negative consequences. One, people would have a disease, and her test would indicate that they don't, so they would go weeks and months later without getting treated for a disease that they had, and then it was the other direction, people didn't have a disease but her blood analysis test would indicate that they did. So she caused all, she caused all sorts of strain and stress. She knew this perfectly well, but she, she kept plowing ahead anyway, but it's tough to figure out what motivated her because it, it didn't seem to be greed. I, you know, she's one, she actually, it, it seems like she started off trying to do good and then she became famous and well-respected and you know, she, she was one of the most you know famous entrepreneurs in silicon valley and um you know so but why'd she keep it up why why couldn't she just quit what was it in her that didn't allow her to do that but yeah definitely a a a classic psychopathic behavior wise
0: yeah jack for folks who are watching and listening and want to learn more about you or where they can get these great books of yours uh what's your advice for them
1: sure actually both of the books are available on amazon and uh what i can do uh, um i can um i can make the web version of the psychopathic ceo free or the i'm sorry the online version if you want to get an electronic copy of the book so if you go anytime for the next few days you can download it for free or uh if you want to shoot me an email uh, i will send you a pdf of the secrets of rockstar cfos so
0: Awesome. Jack, we're coming down close here to a commercial break. We do have a few more minutes, though, so I want to take up the, the last kind of three minutes of the uh, the program here in the first set to ask you how how would you recommend folks um, cope with or survive working under a psychopathic CEO?
1: Sure. And it's a difficult question when, when, when people ask me that, when they share with the fact that they think they're working with somebody who's a psychopath or just someone who has the behavior um you know my first advice is you know maybe don't work for them because it you know Steve Jobs being an obvious glorious exception aside uh it usually does not end well they tend to run companies that they lead into the ground uh i i frequently say they're better at getting ceo jobs than they are at doing ceo jobs so think about you know what is your motivation for staying and working for this person and but you know if you're going to if you've decided hey i for whatever reason i loyalty to investors to the team you built or you just like the company whatever you made the decision you're going to try to stick it out uh what i'd say is when dealing with these people present everything in how it's relevant to them like if there there was one person he just he was a harasser of women on a, you know, one, one of my members was describing this, you just kind of wouldn't believe that the person would say this in the modern world, but you couldn't reason with someone like him and say it's not very nice, you're making people uncomfortable, he doesn't care. The way you'd reason with someone like that is why he should stop for his own benefit. You might get sued, you know, we might have employee turnover, we're losing some of our best employees because of your behavior, that's going to make your stock options less valuable, that's going to be make it you know, less likely we can execute a successful exit, it might hurt your reputation in the next job. So couch everything in terms of how it affects them and why they should stop. Make it all. The other thing is, you know, don't be the enabler. Like one of the great ones, and I've been told he's not a psychopath, but so much as a malignant narcissist, but Harvey Weinstein, an, an absolute monster, but people knew exactly what Harvey Weinstein was doing. In fact, it was written into his employment contract that he could do it. If he, like, harassed a woman, uh, a coworker, either, you know, someone in the office, the movie star, he would not get fired for it. He would actually just pay a cash fine for doing so. And this, you know, presumably this was signed off on by the board of directors and, and probably the CFO and the top human resource executive were aware of it, but... Why didn't anyone say anything about that? I mean, did did, didn't it occur to somebody that eventually this was going to lead to a bad outcome? So don't you know when you see the behavior, don't just sit there and silently let it go on. You know, speak up and you know try to get it to stop.
0: Yeah, that's a that's a tough thing to do if you're not on a uh, peer to peer level with the CEO, of course. And uh, tolerating bad behavior like that certainly creates toxic cultures. And like you said, usually results in the demise of the company. I want to continue that. But unfortunately, we're bumping up against a commercial break here. So Jack, you sit tight. Everyone watching and listening, don't go anywhere. We'll be right back on Behind the Numbers after we pay a few bills.
1: Hi, I'm Angela Pipersburg, and I have a new show here in RVN Television called The Angela Pipersburg
0: Show. And I want you to join me every week as I sit with guests and we discuss their life journeys, share wisdom, and tips that will inspire you
1: to live your best life. Don't miss The Angela Pipersburg Show every week here on RVN Television, where we're celebrating life and we're inspiring you to greatness.
0: Hi, I'm Dr. Esther Mallabe and welcome to my show, Achieving a Better You. Through this show, we're gonna explore ways to make a better version of you. For example, nutrition, finance, fitness, health. Remember that there's always a way of making a better version of yourself, no matter what the circumstances are. And remember to look for Achieving a Better You Show on RVN
1: TV. Some say the world has never been thank more divided, you. more self-centered,
0: oh gosh, thank you so much.
1: more uncaring,
0: oh, thank you. Oh, miss.
1: Thank you. that we've never been more disconnected. But through our windows, we're able to see so much good every day. And it's clear that a little kindness is never really little.
0: Did you know that only 8% of people who set their goals, they actually succeed in achieving them? Well, if you wanna be a part of that 8%, then you need to tune in to Achieve with Wanda Martin, where I will teach you tips, tools, and strategies on how to achieve your goals in any field and on any level. So tune in, watch me on the RBN Network on how to achieve your goals and be a part of that
1: 8%. Hi,
0: and welcome back to Behind the Numbers. I'm Dave Bookbinder, and we are talking with Jack McCullough, who is the president of the CFO Leadership Council. And we've been talking previously about um, psychopathic CEOs and uh, narcissists and. Jack, you were kind enough to just point out to me uh, during the commercial break that there's a bobblehead over your left shoulder there. It's your right, but to our left. Uh, What's up with that, Jack? It looks like it's a bobblehead of you.
1: Yeah, am I some kind of hypocrite to talk about narcissism when I have a bobblehead all of myself right over my shoulder? But uh, just for the record, it was actually a going-away gift. I worked at KPMG, and that was a going-away gift when uh, when I left the company. It's actually my head, and it does look remarkable remarkably like me, and the body is the Avengers. I didn't even know who the Avengers were at the time. I thought it was just kind of a generic superhero, but it's one of the Avengers characters with my head on it. But, yeah, if you could see it up close, you'd know pretty clear that it's me, so... No, I wouldn't spend money on a bobblehead doll of
0: myself. Yeah, contact Jack, and he'll send you a picture of his bobblehead doll. Uh, One one of the things I just want to clarify before we get into it is we were talking about Elizabeth Holmes in the last segment, and uh, her company was Theranos, and you probably have uh, seen that Netflix uh, special. If you haven't seen it yet, definitely check it out. It's an interesting uh, example of what Jack just described. Uh, Jack, I want to shift gears here now and talk about uh, your, your first book, Secrets of Rockstar CFOs. And you mentioned that you were a CFO. Why don't you talk about your experience, and again, what inspired you to write this one?
1: Sure. I was a CFO. I was uh, decidedly not a rock star CFO myself. I think um, if, if the book were about me, it would be a, uh, Secrets of Pretty Good CFOs would be <laughs> a, an appropriate title for a book about my CFO career. But I was a uh, CFO in the Boston, Massachusetts area. Uh, I was a CFO for a series of uh, technology companies, all venture backed type companies for the most part. Um, I Coming out of that, I actually launched a successful CFO type of practice where I was a CFO on an outsourced basis to uh, a total of, believe it or not, 26 companies over the course of my career I've been the CFO for. But it was like two or three at the same time. They were pretty small. And at one point in my career, I started a group called um, the the CFO Leadership Council, where I currently work. It's a professional association for CFOs. And just from meeting at our conferences and whatnot, I had the opportunity to meet and interview some of the best CFOs in the world. And I started uh, doing a presentation that at the time I was calling Habits of Highly Effective CFOs and just sort of what are the best practices of these elite CFOs. And these are like really good CFOs there, you know, Silicon Valley startups, uh, Fortune 50 type companies, some of the most well-respected nonprofits. So I identified nine traits of, of uh, nine secrets of rockstar CFOs, as I called it. Uh, eventually, I changed the name when I decided to write the book because I didn't think I should write a book with um, habits of highly effective, you know, feels like I would be stealing that from the Covey family.
0: Yeah. So, so you described if, your, you, you described yourself as a pretty good CFO. So what, what's <laughs> the difference between a pretty good CFO and a rock star CFO?
1: Sure. And the job has changed, you know, quite a bit from when I was a CFO. I even I myself have not been a CFO in over a decade. Um, but I was a bit, you know, maybe I, today I would look at somebody like me as a bit of an old school CFO. I was, I came up the way a lot of people in my generation did. I was a CPA, very good accountant. Um, and then I became the CFO, the the current CFO and the ones who are rock stars. Uh, these are the people who are strategic thinkers. They're great charismatic leaders. They're strategic partners to the CEO. They work well with boards of directors and investors. I think if I were, if my career was coming up today, you know, I'm not sure that I would get to the CFO mantle today. You know, maybe I would, right? Maybe I'd change my approach or something like that. But, you know, I think I would be, you know, I would probably peak at a VP of finance or a controller. I just didn't have that strategic vision uh, that, that a lot of elite CFOs have.
0: Yeah, and is that, that lack of strategic vision, is that something that uh, people get basically by their training? I don't want to you know, disparage the accounting profession, believe me, by any stretch. But I, I, I've known a lot of accountants over the course of my career, and there are many of them who try to become CFOs but really just kind of landed as a controller, which is a different role. Maybe you can describe that and, and how one develops the, the strategic gene, if you will.
1: Yeah, and um, it's a great point. And by, by the way, being a controller is a, you know, fantastic way to, to make a living. You know, it's a lot of responsibility. It's a very challenging, always changing job. You know, the compensation is fantastic. in it. so but the, the ones who become CFOs, they become strategic. There are some people that just have an advantage. They, they just, for whatever reason, their brains are wired to think strategically. Um But a lot of times it's just, it's your intellectual curiosity at an early point in your career that gives you that strategic mindset. Everybody I interviewed for the book, and I interviewed, I think, 42 CFOs, they all discussed the importance of having a mentor early in their career. And that opened up possibilities for them, Um, you know, beyond just being an accountant and a CPA. And a few years ago, it was a bit of a watershed moment, at least to people who, Pay attention to such things, but uh, Spencer Stewart, the search firm, did a uh, study, and they realized—I think the Fortune 1,000—there were more CFOs with MBAs than there were with CPAs, and that's a reflection of how the job has changed. It's no longer the person with the good, you know, numbers, numbers and accounting skills as much as the strategic vision and understanding the overall business. Because you know, the reality is. There's a lot of people with the aptitude and the skills to become a CFO, but the ones who become elite CFOs, they have more leadership type traits. I asked a uh, one of the, a friend of mine who's a PE investor, what's the most important thing that, that he looks for in CFOs? And he didn't say anything about finance or accounting. He said the ability to inspire, and he meant to inspire trust. People knew that the CFO, uh, she says what she means and she means what she says. So they want someone who can inspire trust and also someone who can inspire confidence. Such a critical trait that the CEO and CFO be inspirational type of people Um, in the modern world, in the world of volatility. It doesn't mean you have to be Barack Obama or John F. Kennedy or Ronald Reagan. It just means you have to be somebody that can inspire confidence, you know, who's known for telling the truth. You're optimistic, but realistic at the same time. Um, people trust CFOs, and they, you know, if a CFO says something, they're generally inclined to believe that the CFO is telling the truth, more so than any other officer. Just, you know, it's sort of the way it is. CEOs, for the most part, they grew up in a sales environment. I'm not suggesting CEOs lie. I am one, uh, and I don't lie, but they tend to have a more optimistic Mindset and CFOs don't; they're more pragmatic and realistic.
0: In yeah, a lot of people's mind. Yeah, for sure. And, and, and as the fiduciary leader, you know, the, the financial responsibility for the organization, as generally the number two in the firm, um, that responsibility in communicating not only internally but both externally as well. They, they've got to be able to instill and create that confidence for markets, investors, and as well as employees. Um, So you've mentioned that the role is changing and has changed. And I've interviewed a number of CFOs on the program and work with a lot of CFOs every day in my day job in helping companies with the valuation of their businesses. What are, in your perspective, Jack, are the the major challenges that that CFOs are facing today?
1: The two biggest challenges that I think CFOs face, uh, I, I call them TNT talent and technology. So Everything's changing. Leading talent right now is so difficult when you think of all the challenges that they face. You know, there's employment shortages, but for the first time, we have we have more generations in the workforce than at any point in history. I'm a baby boomer. Um, many of us are still in the workforce and we're not necessarily retiring on schedule. And, you know, Generation Z has entered the workforce in the last few years. And they're an extraordinarily impressive cohort. They're going to be running the world in a few years. They're the most you know, digitally savvy generation, the most diverse generation, at least in the U.S., the most well-educated generation. And they have a very, very philanthropic nature to them. I'm not suggesting baby boomers do not, but, but you know, perhaps more so than any other company, any other generation. They're socially conscious. So, And then you've got generations in between those two points. So as a CFO or any leader, dealing with the multi-generational workforce is challenging. We still haven't figured out the whole work from home back to the office thing. Probably we're not going to figure that out anytime soon, to be honest. So that's just now a baked-in challenge that they're dealing with. But also, you know, dealing with talent shortages, you know – i think we've been dealing with talented shortages for the most part of the last 20 years however when a global pandemic when we still had talent shortages during a global pandemic that sent a pretty clear signal that we're not going to solve this problem we're just going to have to adapt to lack of talent by lack of talent i'm talking numbers not untalented people to be clear don't want to offend your your watchers
0: Jack, for uh, everybody out there who's listening intently and want to know more about you and how they can get a copy of your books, what would you tell them to do?
1: Sure. Uh, Well, the company's website is cfolc.com, and uh, you can follow me on LinkedIn if you want. It's just Jack McCullough, CFO. I'm on um, Twitter, but... I haven't posted regularly since Breaking Bad went off the year, so I just I don't use Twitter for business very much. Uh, But, you know, feel free to follow me on LinkedIn or if you want to shoot me an email, jack at cfolc.com. Happy to send you a PDF of the book Secrets of Rockstar CFOs.
0: That's great. And if I can,
1: if you're dealing again, I'm not a medical professional, but if you feel you might be dealing with a psychopathic boss and want to talk that out with me, just shoot me an email. We'll find a time to talk it through. I know the business issues, not the medical ones.
0: Gotcha. I'm sure your phone's going to be ringing off the hook when people start to listen <laughs> to this one. Uh, we're down to the short strokes here. The time does go very quickly on behind the numbers, Jack. But I wanted to get your, your advice, uh, if you will, for preparing the next generation of CFOs for those folks who you know aspire to be uh, or are suddenly being promoted. Uh, what's your counsel?
1: Yeah, I would say get exposed to as many broad business issues as you possibly can, like um, a pretty simple one in if your boss is comfortable with it, attend the board meetings silently, but, you know, attend them in in listen mode, Uh, help the CFO and even the company president with the presentations. You know, it is the type of role, and I don't mean this in an insulting way, but, you know, speak only as spoken to, right? You just let the CFO handle the interaction. But if someone asks you a question, that's fantastic. But get exposure to your board. You'll understand the big issues that are important to the company. But also build build cross-functional relationships within the company. Talk to your salespeople. Talk to your marketing people. Talk to your engineers or whoever it is that, that creates the product for your company. You know, understand your company's strategy and the issues that they face beyond just the numbers because again no knock on it but if you're known just as a person who's really good at numbers you you may not find yourself as a candidate for a cfo job in the modern world so those would be the big things you know maybe get an mba it's i i happen to have one it's not for everybody it's you know it's a difficult thing to do because people are busy anyway. But if you have the opportunity to get an MBA, it's a world-class credential, and you learn a lot in the process.
0: That's good advice. I would add also to be a continuous learner, continue to read, continue to consume content and how you can develop yourself as a better leader. Jack, 60 seconds, you're on the clock. Artificial intelligence, is it the greatest invention since electricity, or is it going to be the demise of mankind? <laughs>
1: Uh, is it possible both of those things are true?
0: Um, yes, it is.
1: i I'll say it's maybe the greatest invention since uh, since the Internet. How about that? I, uh, I'm not sure that's going to be as impactful as history, but it's, it's having that type of impact on the way we work and on the way we live. Um, I graduated high school in the 1980s and uh, told people I was studying accounting, And everybody told me what a mistake it was because computers would be replacing accountants. I think, and by the way, these were smart people who gave me this advice. My guidance counselors, business leaders, very smart people told me not to go into accounting. The advice couldn't have been any worse. Computers created jobs and created a better way of life in many ways. They didn't take away accounting jobs. And I think artificial intelligence is going to do the same thing. It is going to change jobs quite a bit. Uh, But I think what it's going to do, it's going to take away a lot of the mundane manual tasks and it's actually going to empower people. So all of us will be, you know, contributors to the strategy and the growth of our companies. I think it's kind of exciting. I would say learn everything you can about it as quickly as you can. It's, uh, It's not the future. It's the present.
0: Yeah, it's not coming. It's here. Jack, that's it. We are out of time, unfortunately. But I want to thank you so much for sharing your thoughts and spending some time with us today on Behind the Numbers.
1: Thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. Hope I pass the audition and we can do it again.
0: That would be a lot of fun. I want to hear about your your next endeavor uh, as you continue to explore the psychopathy and the organization chart. So awesome stuff. <laughs> uh, we've been talking with Jack McCauley. Definitely go check out his books if you're interested in, in becoming a rock star CFO or if you want to learn how to survive working with that psychopathic CEO. My name is Dave Bookbinder. I want to thank the big cheese for running the board today, for making the show go smoothly. Also want to thank you out there for watching and listening. Can't do this program without you. That's it for today. We'll see you next time on Behind the Numbers. Take care, everybody.